0: Good morning, everybody. Today, Sharm. we will be learning Daf Mem in Maseches of a By the way, tomorrow... Oh, Daf uh, Nun. Maybe we'll get to the part that was mentioned in Maseel Sisharim. That's a little teaser. Okay, uh, let's start on the two dots in the middle of Memches Beis, Bays. And it's actually kind of like a new uh, issue in the Mishnah, which is Vim Hichnes B'Rishus What was it talking about here? Back to the Mechlokas from Bannon and Rebbe. Rebbe says... When you have that casual relationship, Barry says to Andrew, can I keep... No, Barry uh, says to Andrew, can you watch my my dog? Whatever. So is that a casual relationship where it's kind of like understood that Andrew has no no liability, right? Or that's Rebbe. Rebbe says it's casual. Andrew's doing Barry a favor. Andrew has no achrayas. That's what Rebbe says. But the Tanakama says, no, that upon accepting to watch Barry's dog, Andrew's taking on Achrayas, okay, for the dog. So, let's talk about this halacha Rav Shmuel right? So Shmuel says it's chill, Rav says it's a little bit more formal. Tanerobonon, so we have the following, If Andrew tells, right, Barry, bring your ox in here, but it's your responsibility. Hezik Chayev. So then if the ox does damage, then the ox's owner is Chayev, Huzak Potter. And if the ox gets damaged, then Andrew is Potter. And all this makes sense, right? Because again, this is a case where Andrew, who's the homeowner, says to Barry, come bring your ox and it'll be entirely your responsibility. So of course, if the ox gets damaged it's going to be, it, it, then Andrew's going to be Pater, right? In other words, come bring your ox, I take no achrayas. He says it explicitly. So then obviously, he takes no achrayas. And if the ox damages, then Barry has a, a, a Achryas. Conversely, says the man if Andrew says explicitly to Barry, hey, bring your bull over here and I'll watch it. And then Hezekhaev. That means that Andrew is, in fact, taking responsibility, and therefore, if the bull gets damaged there, then Andrew is going to be having to pay, and his a Potter. And if the bull, right, in fact, does damage, then, then Barry is going to be putter because Andrew took on responsibility. So now what the Gemara is going to do is basically what we have is, right, we have Machokas, just to refresh, Rabbanan and Rebbe, what happens in a case where nobody said anything, right? In a casual case, Barry says, can you watch my bull? Andrew says, no problemo. Uh, does Andrew take responsibility or not? So what we brought what we brought here is a Brysa where it has two of the opposite extreme cases where it is explicit. Either Andrew explicitly says, I will take responsibility or Andrew explicitly says, I will not take responsibility. And in those cases, it's obvious that if Andrew takes responsibility, then Andrew will have all responsibility. If he doesn't, then he won't, because there it's explicit. Well, what the Gomorrah is going to do now is going to take each side of this Brysa and say, well, isn't it, 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 does each side of the Brysa infer that the case where Andrew doesn't actually explicitly say what the intentions are, does it infer opposite things, right? But it really doesn't necessarily do so, right? In other words, I can tell you right now that our brisa is just telling you what happens in a case where it's explicit. Maybe it doesn't shed light on what happens if there's no uh, nothing mentioned explicitly. But we're going to go through the exercise of inferring the two opposite things from two uh, parts of the brisa and uh, and. Th- Consider the fact that the Bryce is self contradictory, and then pull back from that consideration. So let's see that inside. Says the Gemara, This Bryce is self contradictory. Says the Gemara, Right when Andrew takes on entirely the responsibilities, and of course he ta- then anything that happens, he's going to be chayev, Right, and if anything happens to the shore, then ba- and Andrew is going to be then, then Barry. Right, in other words, if he says shamro. If Andrew says to Barry, "Do everything at your own risk, then if Barry then it is at his own risk, and Barry takes responsibility, if the shore is uh, going to do damage, Barry is going to be chayev. If the shore gets damaged, then Andrew's going to be putter Shamro. So you can make the following inference, that's because Andrew said to Barry, it's all at your own responsibility, the shore of, which is explicitly to say that Barry is going to be high for everything, and Andrew's going to be putter for everything. That's what Andrew's actually saying. Right, he's saying, I'm doing you this favor, but I don't want to take any responsibility. All the responsibility would be, uh, be on you, Barry. So can you make the following in- in, uh, inference? That that in a case where nothing was said between the two of them and all that uh, Andrew said was, yes, sure, I'll watch you, sure. And they didn't say who takes responsibility. Maybe, maybe you're going to make the inference from the Brisa that in a case where there is no uh, agreement between them that Andrew w- ha- does take responsibility and Barry does not, right, says the Gemar, because maybe you would say that when Andrew just says, hey, sure, I'll watch your shore, maybe he is, in fact, taking on a labriut, Right? So that would be like the Tanakama. Says the Gemar, no, Amos sefa. Now you're looking at the next clause in the Bryce so that we just quoted, which is where Andrew says explicitly, yeah, sure, Barry, I'll watch your shore. And I'll, in fact, be responsible for it, guarding it. So then, of course, who's a chayev? He's a potter. So then, of course, if, right, the, the shore is going to do any damage, then Andrew is going to be chayev. And if the shore gets damaged, then, gonna, then, then Barry's going to be potter, says the Gemara. Maybe that's, again, the inference is that that's only because Andrew was very, very explicit and says that he was going to take Ahreiz. That's when Andrew is going to be Chayev and, of course, Barry is going to be Patefer everything because that is what was explicitly arranged. But if there was no arrangement of any kind and now we have to figure out what is the Stam case, as the uh, Gemara discusses it, right? Where it's this case with no inference, right? So then maybe in, in the irregular case, not unlike the explicit case of the B'risa, maybe in fact Barry would be Chayev, because maybe the uh, Stam case where the Andrew just says, that I'm going to watch you short, and he doesn't in, uh, indicate explicitly who has a Qurayas, maybe he's not taking any responsibility. Says Lamar, as on the Gemara, i So it sounds like the first part of the Brite says like the Ratanakama. the second part of the Brite says like Rebbe. Not really, as we've already said, right? Uh, what did Rebbe say? Rebbe is the one that says that Andrew doesn't take any until, unless he explicitly takes on Ahurais. So, again, the Brisa uh, just has two explicit cases and infers that maybe in the Stam case, it's in the first part of the Brisa is like Tanakama and the second part of the Brisa might be like Rebbe. Well, says the Gemara, Rachel Abanam is safe for Rebbe. Is it possible that the first part of the Brysa is going to be like the Tanakama and the second part is going to be like Rebbe? So, how do you resolve this? So, the Gemara says, I'm Rebbe Lazar Tavra. Uh, previously, we said Rebbe Zera had the same reaction. Now, Rebbe Lazar is saying, amazingly, Rebbe Lazar says, this Brysa, it's self contradictory, it's broken, it's the whole thing's a piece together Brysa. Misha Shanazu, when Rav said it, he said it about a Mishnah, which is even more shocking because the Mishnayos were uh, more thoroughly edited. Be that as it is may, maybe this is a, this is like an amalgamation of the Shitas Rebbe and the Shitas Tanakama in uh, the Brisa, and it's a patchwork kind of Brisa, says Rebbe Lazar, To which Rava says, "No, Kula Rabbanani. no, you could read the whole way like the Rabbanan, where they say right that everything is very formal, and I didn't." And since Tanakama is saying in the first case, right, that An- Andrew is telling Barry explicitly that it's your responsibility for whatever happens, Barry, Tana say for Vanish Ishmareno. And that is, it is only be, in order to keep it consistent with the first part of the Brisa that in the second part of the Brisa, it says Vani However, even in the second part of the Brisa, the responsibility would be on Andrew, even if he didn't say Vanish Right, it's just in order to keep the language of the brisa consistent. uh, Really, the whole thing is like the rabbanon. And really, when Andrew doesn't specify uh, that he's going to watch it by agreeing to watch Barry's bull, he actually implies right, which is really what we're trying to figure out. What is the implication in a regular case? We just agreeing to watch it. It doesn't say who's a chayes. It's going to be says Rava according to that both parts of the brisa are consistently according to the rabbanon. And the only reason it says in the second case that Andrew said is to sort of keep it um, linguistically, right, parallel to the first case. But really, even if Andrew had not said that he's going to take a chayis, a chais falls on Andrew. Ruf Papa takes the other position. And we, we are not surprised that you could have both positions in this. Uh, we didn't see your really in the b'risa because, you know, the inference isn't obvious, right? It's obvious that when you're explicit that that's the halacha. When you're not explicit, really our embrace a, if I'm being honest, Andrew, can be read both ways. But be that as it may, cooler the whole thing uh, can follow the idea of Rebbe, which is that it's chill when Andrew take, watches uh, the animal. He's not taking a Christ with look at Oh, back to Rabitarphon, bringing it around full circle. Why is it that in the first clause uh, right, that he's going to be chayev. The Amar Karen Wow! Now we're going to get real. babakami here, as we said earlier. That typically we say that when there's a damage done by Karen, which is with intent of damaging right, uh, a belligerent act by the shore. So typically we say that that is, in fact, going to be Rishus independent, right? Typically we say that whether that's in Rishus of Rabin, reshus Yochid, that is going to have to be Nezek for Atam and Nezak Shalem for Emuad. However, that's only true uh, according to the Chachabim, and that's how we hold. But Rabbi Tarfon has this interesting shita, which is that a, even a Atam as long as he's actually doing trespassing and doing the damage in a chatzar ha-nizak, in a private property, um, in, in a rishis hayachid, he's going to be paying nezek shalem there, right? The omar karen b'chatzar ha-nizak nezak shalem is as we've said. So that's why we tarfon shita Well, how does that uh, apply to our b'risa? So because amr le shamro, if Andrew says, hey, Barry, bring your bull, but at your own risk, lo maknilei makam then Andrew is not actually in effectively um, being a portion of the chatzar to Barry, but Habi like Karen and Nizak. Right? And therefore it's as if the ox is sort of trespassing if he in fact does a belligerent act, and then he's gonna to have to pay nizak Shalom, but Karen Nizak according to but if Andrew had not said to Barry, guard your ox, right? So then it's as if Andrew's saying I'm gonna guard it or it's stam. it's as if he's saying uh, he's as if he's giving Barry the rishus to the property, right? It's a, it's a tantamount to, as the Gemara says, makam It's as if Andrew is allowing, right, a portion of the chatzer to be uh, considered Barry's and it's as if they are right shutafin their partners in that land and once Barry's right shore is causing damage in a in in a um, area that he's jointly owning with Andrew, then that's no longer Rishus nizak. That, as we've said in previous Kumbars when we first were introduced to Rabbi Taraphone, is considered a as if it's a Rishus Rabim in the sense that it's not Acher, right? He's not going into someone else's property. That's clearly not trespassing. That's the point. In other words, it's not really Rishus Yachur versus Rishus Rabim per se. It's Right? Are you in someone else's property? Well, certainly if he's a joint owner, then in that regard, he's not going to be considered someone else's property and he's only going to have to pay Chatzinezek, right? So once you have to pay uh it doesn't mean that um, you're not going to have any responsibility. But the point is that unless Andrew explicitly takes responsibility, that if he's not going to specify anything, then you'd be chayev to only ezek, And that's what the embracer is trying to say. Wow. Okay, Rava. We're biased. Reva makes the most sense. <laughs> okay. It, to me. Well, nobody cares what I think, but Reva makes a lot of sense here that the whole thing is just basically saying that it's linguistically uh, parallel, but the point is that if Andrew, it's like they're a on right? If Andrew uh, says, I'll watch your uh, bull, then it's as if he's taking on a Christ. Very good. So now we're in the mission at the bottom of Melchesem base, and we have a whole new law. It has to do with the Puzzle. So, Andrew, if you look at we have a fascinating case. The case is Two men are fighting. We're going to dig into this pasuk here. When it comes to human beings, if two men are fighting, and then the wife of one of the men is pregnant and starts to interfere and say, Hey, watch it, and she just gets in between them, and Rahman uh, al she gets a miscarriage because she gets hit. Okay, son says the tragedy doesn't happen. It is a tragedy. It would, this tragedy it's referring here is that the woman doesn't get killed, but she does, in fact, lose her children. All right, I know she, so the person who hit her is going to get punished. Now, he didn't mean to hit the pregnant woman. He was looking to hit uh, the other dude. They were in the middle of a dude fight, but he still gets punished for the fact that he hit the woman. What's going to happen is the husband of the pregnant woman, Right where they lost the uh, the fetus, uh, Rachmanetzlan. He's going to bring him to court. And the name means he brings him to court. And what is going to happen in courts? So now our mission is going to actually say what the halacha is. I'll say it outside first. That when it comes to a human being, right the person who hit the pregnant woman is gonna have to pay for the loss of the fetus. As we'll see, there's gonna be some evaluation and the mission is gonna even start to discuss what the evaluation will be for the financial loss of the fetus. Now, all of this is when two men are fighting. However, what would you say would be the case if the bull of a person, which is a Hezke-Mamon, does the same thing? In other words, a bull is intending to gore a man and instead gores its pregnant wife. Does the owner of said bull have to pay the dme vlados in the same way, right? For the fetus, the same way that if a man strikes a man, has to pay for the dmei vlados. So let's see that side. Let's say he's trying to gore either a person, a fellow ox, right? He is going for another ox and instead he gores a pregnant woman causes a miscarriage so the owner of that shore is not going to be hived to pay for mevlados. then the contrast is the Pasuk that we already mentioned that Adam that if two men are fighting and a man is trying to hit another dude but instead he hits his pregnant wife and she loses the children or you know right he loses the fetus so that's the case where we where we say that the dude that hit her has to pay for the loss of the fetus now how is that loss of the fetus? Evaluated, asks the Mishnah, <laughs> Bada bing, bada boom, Tanakama says, yeah, figure out how much this pregnant woman would cost on the slave market uh, with child and how much she would, be, she would cost without child. And there you have it. That's how you know how much was lost. We said that by a pregnant cow already. In this particular case, the assumption is that a pregnant woman would be more valuable than a non pregnant woman. To which, Rabbi Shimon as <laughs> we arrive in Aleph, Im Kain Misha Isha Mashkachas, Mashbachas, right? If a woman increases value after she gives birth. Um, the Gemara is going to explain what exactly this statement means, but basically, it's not very clear. I don't know what you would say, Andrew. What's more valuable in the slave market? A pregnant slave or a Slave that's already had a child. I don't know. The pregnant slave, very often... I don't know if, you've you've seen it. Your pregnant slaves, they don't clean the floors as well, right? They're tired. All that. Getting two-for-one. Yeah. So Andrew's saying the converse is the assumption of the Verbanan is that you're getting a two-for-one when you get a pregnant one. Right? Because you're going to get the kids and everything like that. As we'll see, in, in, in the culture of the Gemara and the Mishnah, it seemed like they... There was an assumption maybe the women were more robust and, and, and therefore um, there was more value in the pregnant woman. Be may, Roshim Yafin. Gamliel does not buy into a massive appreciation of value in a pregnant woman over a non-pregnant woman. He just says, you know, how much is the fetus worth? That's, that's the question. And you evaluate that independently. Right, so that's, that's different than what we do with a cow. Anyway, that locus we see by the woman, not by the cow. So the Gemara says, so who do you pay? This is the last part of the Pasuk. It says, la baal. The Baal gets the money. That the Pasuk says. The Pasuk explicitly says, right, that he's going to have the payment. Right? right? So it says, So it sounds like the husband the only one that gets paid like what if the husband dies so nobody gets paid let's see Nosin labal you give the husband the money but you labal but if the baal dies or whatever nosin sin so it's the baal's heirs that gets it not the woman What's if an unusual case the husband died and she and nobody there's no heirs right these are all converts right and venishtakh or giyores then Pater. and in the case of no baal and no heirs right so then, it's not like, oh, so then you pay the Isha because there's no Baal in the air. She's the last in line to receive it. She doesn't receive it. It's like a Gzaira Sakasov. The Pasuk is specifically saying that the Baal gets the payment and if Baal's not around, nobody gets the payment. Fine. Let's see what's, let's analyze this mission as follows. Now we're really going to get to know the Pasuk a little bit better. The time of the and the, the Mishnah is saying the reason the ox's owner is exempt for paying for the vladus is because the ox was trying was, was inadvertently hitting this pregnant woman humbly laisha. but if the ox is going straight for the pregnant woman Mishal to Mae Vladus so there the owner of the ox would pay the Mae Vladus they want to have it to der vadabar hava it sounds like this is a contradictory thing to rab adabar hava when did he say a statement rashi points out beshorshnaga khaba va khamisha in dafman bays we had the sheet of vadabar hava not so long ago almost exactly a week ago The mar vadabar hava shvarmsn it's covered isha term with mae vladus that anytime you have a shor and he's trying to hit pregnant women, you're potter from the Dmei Vladas and he had his shita there. The Gemara says, Right? So actually, the halacha is there in Rav Adabarava that it's not true that there are going to be potter there, right? That they are, in fact, going to be potter from the Dmei Vladas. shor so what the Gemara is saying now is that our Mishnah perhaps would indeed agree, in other words, this idea that we're going to be chayev for the Dmei vladus if the shore actually intentionally went for the pregnant woman, that is an inference in our mission. Our mission didn't say that. All our mission said was that he's going to be ha- uh, potter from Demey if he didn't go for the woman. But it would also be true that he'd be pater from if he had gone directly for the woman, right? So then the question is why did the mission not say so? Why did the mission say a case where he went for the dude uh, or for another shore instead of the pregnant woman? Well, uh, in other words, the reason. We had the case where the shore inadvertently hit the pregnant woman is because the first case was when a man, or when the second case, a man inadvertently hits the other man. Now, the re- again, the first case is a shore inadvertently hits the pregnant woman. The second case of the Mishnah is a man inadvertently hits the pregnant woman. So we make an inference and we say, oh, if the shore had intentionally hit the pregnant woman, then he would be chayiv, right? The, the question, the, the, the point is that no. Ravada Bar says that if the shore, unlike, right, a man who's going to be chayved made vlados, in the case of a shore, whether he does so intentionally or unintentionally, he's not chayved made vlados. The question is then why did the Mishnah use the case of unintentionally, right? So the answer is to make it parallel with the second case in the Mishnah where we're talking about a man that did so unintentionally. And why did we use a case where a man did so unintentionally in the, in the second clause in the Mishnah? Because that, in fact, is the case in the Pusuk. right? So where did the Mishnah... hit the woman? Or yeah, the, what happens in the PUSUK. is... trying to hit a guy, but he hit the woman. Correct. So what happens in... to hit someone, he just hit the wrong person. Exactly, Andrew. So what the Pusuk is saying is a dude is trying to punch another dude and unintentionally hits a woman a pregnant woman, that's exactly the case in the Mishnah, in the Pasuk, and therefore that's the case in the Mishnah. So in the Pasuk, the idea is that the man is chayav dmei vlados, right? He's chayav dmei vlados. And the contrast is that the owner of a shor who does so, right, like as you said, uh, has intention to hit, but has no intention to hit the pregnant woman, the shor who does so is Potter dmei vlados. But the Kiddush is that really if the shor, unlike the man, Right? If the shore had inten- even if he had intention to hit the pregnant woman, he still would be popular to Mevlada. So why did our mission not use that case? And the only reason they did Use that case, and they use the case where the short uninten- unintentionally hit the pregnant woman, was to make it parallel to the case of the man, and the case of the man had to be that case because that's in fact the case in the pasuk. That's what the mission is saying, right? That's what the gemara is saying here. That's what the pasuk says, and that's why they use that case. Therefore, that's why we, the reisha also uses that case in order to make the cases parallel. Now, there is an exception that if a shor is no gech the shifcha, so then unlike if it's a Jewish woman where you don't pay the dmei if it's a shifcha, I guess you could say ironically, you do have to pay the dmei vladas. Because halachically, this is not really racism, but it's just saying halachically, they don't have a genealogy, and therefore, it's as if he hit another animal, as we've already said. If you hit a pregnant cow, you are going to be responsible for the fetus. Remember, we had the whole thing. Shor shenogah That's the name of our uh, of our parake. When a shor is nogah Andrew, and we know that that's what caused the miscarriage, then then you do pay, right? As the owner of the shore that that hit the para, you do pay d'meiv It's The human being is different. So the shivcha is going to have the case of the Para, right? Why? Because, like, with regards to the genealogy, they're like, uh, like animals, right? This one statement that Avraham told Eliezer, sit with a donkey. We've already mentioned this in other contexts. That with regards to genealogy, they're like as if they're a donkey, and therefore, not only is with regards to genealogy, but even with regards to this specific halacha, a pregnant donkey, uh, non-Jew, you pay for the Dmei Vlados. Unbelievable. Okay, first wide line, two dots. Ketam Shalom Vlados. How do we evaluate it? So we say we evaluated the woman before birth, after birth, Vlados, Shevach Vlados, Why, if you're going to say that you're going to evaluate the difference in the value of the woman, and that, that, why are we calling it Dmei Vlados? Dmei Vlados, the language of the Mishnah implies that we're talking about the actual value, uh, value of the fetus itself. And therefore, that language implies not like like the tanaka so it's like that's what the mission means to say what the mission is saying is kids and children to make for Shevach chadash yeah how do you how are you in fact paying the value of the fetus and the appreciation. That in fact, we are trying to figure out the does. and that's just the, what the Mishnah and the Tanakhama is talking about: is how do you do that evaluation? Well, you evaluate the woman, how much she's worth, pregnant, how much she's worth, not pregnant, and that's how you come to that evaluation. So now, the two dots in the wide four dines down. The dissenting opinion: he thinks. Mashbachas. We don't really know what that means. my a Can you even tell what is more valuable in the slave market, a pregnant woman or a non-pregnant woman? Right? thinks she's a better worker after birth, right? And therefore, it's only she's going to, only depreciating in value. Ella of Lodus, and So now we see what Roshim and meant. He meant that this evaluation of a pregnant slave versus non pregnant slave is only going to depreciate her, so there's no value in that. So that is for that reason that he's evaluating the fetus on its own independently. And in fact, we have a support for this is for Rabba's interpretation for what Rashim and Gamaliel meant. Again, Rashim and meant he didn't, he said this like sort of. Cryptic statement, and Robert means Robert means says that what he means is that a woman is more valuable after she's pregnant, and we have a Braise to support it. Because what does the brace say? As follows: Is a woman really? This is just going to be copy paste The braces says exactly what Robert said. Is a woman really more valuable when she's pregnant? She's more valuable after she gives birth. Exactly what Rabbi said. So he was really quoting a that you actually evaluate the, the offspring itself and then that's what you give to the Baal. That is how Rabbi explains what Roshim Gamaliel says. However, Rabbi disagrees. This is what Roshim Gamaliel meant to say. Does a woman actually appreciate through pregnancy only for the father of the fetus? A totally different question. The question is, Does the woman herself get paid? This is an unbelievable thing. Ravah sees the pasuk entirely differently. The pasuk says, Andrew, that the husband gets the money for the Dmei Vladas. Ah, Ravah says, a little more egalitarian perhaps you would say, that Ravah says that the husband gets the money exclusively for the fetus. But guess what? The woman herself had some loss in this as well. And for that loss, aside from the fetus that the woman uh, sustains, the woman will get paid for that loss. In other words, the husband gets the money for purely for the fetus, the woman gets the rest of the money for the damage sustained as follows. Watch this. Does the woman not have any appreciation from the fact that she was pregnant? What you do is, according to Hashim Gamliel, is you evaluate how much the fetus is worth uh, and you isolate that, and that's what you give to the Baal. But the appreciation that occurred in the woman during pregnancy that is actually divided between the husband and his wife. And in fact, we have a Bryce to support Rav as well. Does the woman herself not have any shevach in this pregnancy? Elo shaman nezek You isolate just nezek Neatzmo with vitzar So let's see how much de- the damage do the woman sustain, how much sar did the woman sustain, and that the woman is going to actually split with the husband. Right. So the just the pure value of the. Fetus, that'll go to the husband and the rest will go and be split by the husband and the wife good so if that's the case however now we have rava explaining uh one way Rava explaining another way both of them bringing brisos to support it well if you look at it that way what we end up having having is two contradictory brisos, right so so Gemara. Kacher We have two braces in the name of Shimingam Leo that are contradicting each other. Says the Gamar Lokacha, Kan kan The whole question is, is she bearing her firstborn or not? Why? Because as Rashi explains, first time, mevakeris means this is a firstborn. Uh right, mevakeris means she has a bakor in there. Uh, first time pregnancies are riskier. You don't know if things are going to go sideways. Once a woman is starting to have many children and bear children, you get used to it. We sometimes get used to the miracle of birth and sort of take it for granted, and the Gemara even assumes that it is indeed safer. Okay? But that first time, you never know how it's going to go. And therefore, in that case, she's uh, bearing more, more responsibility for the, for, for the uh, meaning, the, and she gets more of the money. In that case, right, uh, when she has taken on that risk, right? That's what that's what that means. Okay. Right. Leda Leda That before Leda, right, she actually is worth uh, not as much because we don't know how bad it's gonna be when she has the birth. Anyways, everybody should have uh, smooth birth in all cholesterol. Now, back to Tanakama. Run Amish Nami Labal, my timeer. Why do the Rabbanon who disagree with Shem Gamliel say that everything goes to the husband? So it says That the pasuk says the pasuk says that her that and that and her offspring are miscarried. Now the pasuk says she was pregnant, and then the children are uh, are falling out. Well, we know that she was pregnant. So why does the uh, pasuk have to tell you that she was pregnant? From the very fact that there is children in there, obviously there's only be uh fetus if she was pregnant. Says the Gemara, "Lom lecha shevech the lebal." That the way the pasuk is constructed is to teach you that the husband gets all of the appreciation for the pregnancy. So what does Rabbi Shimon Leil do with that part of the pasuk? Rabbi Shimon Leil, "Hi hara my darsh." What is he going to him from there? He's going to need it for the brisa because the brisa says, Unbelievable thing. It mentions the pregnancy to teach you that he's only going to be chayev if there's actual, um, the actual blow is right opposite the womb. It doesn't have to be like exactly, literally, hitting the bullseye. Anywhere where the heat of the blow would, in the torso is going to affect the child, there he's going to be chayev. However, lafuki, yad varegel, delo. But if the woman gets hit in the extremities of the legs or the arms and miscarries, so there is no culpability for the fetus in that case, it's too indirect, okay? That's what Hara is teaching you uh, in the Pasuk, according to Shimon Gamaliel. Wow. So now, ha-yoshifka v'nishtecha hor pater. What is this idea, right, of being pater, right, from having to pay the husband if you're talking about a case of a convert? Raya up in the two dots. Amar rabba, lo-shada lo-shachava b'chaya all of this happens to be what? Where, where everything happened while she was still married to the ger, and then subsequent to the thing, right? Subsequent to the incident, the ger then died. Then there's, you don't have anybody to pay. Because again, at the time that they were married, he, just, even though he's a convert, the, the, the convert gets the money. It's just that when the convert dies, he has no heirs, right? And then when the convert dies, then automatically the damager, so to speak, acquired it. How does the damager acquire it? Well what it really means is when a gare dies, he has no heirs, as we said. And then it's kinda of like first come, first serve. Happens to be that the damager is the first person there, because he by definition is the first person there, because he has the money already in his possession. Right? So what it means is he just gets to keep the money and not have to pay anybody in a situation where the ger dies. But what happens if the ger dies and then he strikes a woman? So then, so the woman is single, right? She's a single pregnant woman who gets damaged. So she has already acquired that offspring that she's carrying. In that case, the damager would have to pay the woman. Again, if the damage happens after the woman's ger husband already died, so then the woman will get the money. So Amar of Chista, no. Oh my goodness. The the master of this teaching. What are the offspring? Are like bundles of money that you are going to say? Oh, he acquires him in the in the way that like zacha. We're going to treat fetuses fetusai. We're going to treat them like um, like the same way we treat all the other assets. No, that's impossible. Rather, ella Right. That since the husband when the offspring. Uh, are killed, the Torah says, that he gets the payment, say leval low. If the husband's not here, then she's not going to get payment at all. Not to the husband, not to the wife. In other words, in a case of regular assets, if the ger husband dies first and the woman was the first one to get the assets. And if it happened while the husband was alive, so then the, then the damager gets the assets. That's how we were looking at it before. But, but Rav Chissa doesn't like that. If Chisda doesn't like looking at it as assets, he just says, it's a gzerah sakasav. And the gzerah teaches you, if the husband's alive, he gets the assets. If the husband's not, nobody gets the assets. This is not, this is human beings. This is not regular assets, okay? Maseveh, so now we're going to say, we're going to challenge Rabba's way of looking at it like assets. He goes, we said in the that if a person strikes a pregnant woman, right, and, and the fetus is lost, nois and nezek vitzar isha we in fact say that the woman gets and the Baal gets the fetus. And if there's no Baal, the Yershim get the fetus money. If the woman's not alive, so then he gives the damages to her heirs. And if she's a convert, then, right, the right, then the damager doesn't have to pay. So we see that even if he kills the offspring after the death, he's exempt for paying them. That is unlike Rabbah. So, how do we, how does Rabbah reconcile it? Yes, you have to just reconcile. We've saw this before, this kind of um, reconciliation that you say the same thing that you said to amend the Mishnah, you're going to say to amend the B'risa. right? In the Mishnah, in the Masnissin, Okimna gera Germesagar. Achanami ha-gera Germesagar. Yeah, it must be a case where the actual incident happened during the life of the Ger, and then the Ger died, and it is in that case that he doesn't get the money. That's one way of saying it. We it. Or even after Mitzit you might be able to say, uh, as we turn to him at Bezut, Nei, Zachta, right? And just say, the B'raith doesn't say that she doesn't acquire, you say that she, Zachta, acquired the rights for payment for the Vladas, okay? Now, the truth is, this Machlokas Rabba and may have precedent in some Machlokas Tanayim earlier. says the Gemara, Yisrael, Menu, V'chava the following case was a machlokas tanaim. If a, if a Jewish girl is married to a convert, okay, and becomes pregnant. So far, so good. Uh-oh. ger. And then someone strikes her during pregnancy while her ger husband is alive. No sins may have lost The Convert gets the money, as the Pasuk says. It's all straight up from the Chumash. However, uh, la'achar uh, a leger. Tane chada chayev. V'tane chada, potter. There's a machlokas tanaim. What happens if after the ger dies... The, preg- the woman is still pregnant with this child, and she gets hit. So, does, do you have to pay or not? That's a machlokes tanaim. One says you do, one says you don't. My love tanaim inu. Maybe that's exactly the machlokes tanaim, is the exact machlokes that we have here bet- between Rabbah and Ravchishta. Says the Gemara, rabba vadei tanaihi. According to Rabbah, yes, that's going to be a machlokes tanaim. El mi But according to Ravchishta, there might be a way to explain both positions within the sheet of Rafchista. How so? So the Gemara lo, lo kasha, even within Rav Chista, we can explain both prices within Rav Chista because we could say high Rabbanon, high Rab Shimon and because we can infer it back to the earlier Machlokas that we discussed that according to the b'risa which says that your partner for paying he holds like the Rabbanon that what that all the benefit goes to the husband and in this particular case the husband is already dead. However, in according to the Shita that you do not that. You right. Well, you do have something to pay. That's only according to Shimon Gamaliel who says what? If you remember, that part of the benefit goes to the woman that's alive. In other words, the husband doesn't get everything. The woman gets something. And since the woman gets something, it is that which the price is reflecting. It's the of Shimon Gamaliel on whether the husband gets everything or not. And that is what determines whether there's going to be payment to this pregnant uh, wife of a deceased uh, gerb. However, the Gemara says, If it's true that we hold up the Gemara, that the woman gets some value out of this incident, so then you don't have to wait for the gear to die for that to happen. She gets it, even Mechaim. That's the sheet of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Rabbi Shimon doesn't need the husband to die in order for the woman to get any payout. Says the Gemara, Mechaim is la Palga la Charmisa yeah, the difference is that while he's alive, she, according to Mugliel, she certainly does get part of the payment. However, once he's dead, the b'raism means that the damager is going to have to pay her in full. Uh, so that, of course, is only true once the husband's dead. But we see that she does get some of the payment. That's one way of the answer, to answer that. Be by Another way is to say it, right? that both cases Both prices are, in fact, not just Rabbanim, but they're both of Shemigem Leil. They both have the situation where the woman gets paid, but in one price, it's talking about the appreciation of the woman through her pregnancy, and the other one is just dealing with the value of the Dmei Mm lados in an isolated uh, way. Gamar does not like this. But once you say, right, shevach lados, so we can learn and infer Dmei Vladas from that, Right, so says the Gemara. Uh, right, uh, and once you hold that she can acquire right uh, the shevach, then she should be able to acquire everything. So how does a chista is going to distinguish between appreciation through the offspring and the payment for the offspring themselves? So says the Gemara. Amri lo shevach begavayu, because there is a distinction. Because when it comes to appreciation through of the woman herself right, she has a hand in that benefit during the husband's lifetime, right? So therefore, that's why she gets some of that payment. Therefore, that's why she can have the right to the entire payment when the husband dies. However, right, she doesn't have a hand to the in the husband's lifetime because according, even according to she doesn't acquire any of it and uh, a- at all upon his death because the actual vlados don't happen until until they're born the shevach vladas is something that happens during her pregnancy so Bezat Hashem, tomorrow we'll resume in the two dots 15 lines from the top of memtes amud baz